Welcome to the podcast where heavy industrial industries meet the venture capital ecosystem, interviewing both thought-leading investors and pioneering founders to better understand the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead for digital industrial innovation. Your host is Ty Finley, and this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Scott Wolf joins us today from New Orleans, Louisiana. He is the former founder and CEO of Levelset, a construction fintech company that he sold to Procore in 2021 for $500 million and then went on to become the president of Procore Labs. He is now an active angel investor, advisor, and board member with notable current companies, including Billy, Part 3, ProKeep, and Stellar. Scott, it's great to have you on the show and, and bring all of our offline riffing about Built Worlds on to the show. So welcome to the Heavy Hitters. Yes, sir. Thank you, Ty. I'm glad to be here. Right on. Well, you know, this show always starts a little bit of a, a very abbreviated, I know you're a humble guy, but please give us more color on that journey that that uh, led you to founding Level Set. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, I it's kind of like this kaleidoscope of things that I was involved in, um, which is always the case, I guess. I grew up with um, uh, in the retail world. My parents owned grocery stores, so I grew up like working their points of sale systems. I even tried um, grocery, de- online grocery delivery in like 1997. Wow, OG <laughs> of grocery delivery. All right. I was before my time. I was playing around with the web, things like that, of creating sites, creating things for um, a variety of companies. I went to law school. Um, I started to, I got my law degree the year that Hurricane Katrina hit in New Orleans. And so instead of like going this direction where I was probably going to go poke around with some things with my family's business, I was kind of thrust into construction, restoration, a lot of restoration construction going on. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents' property development company actually emerged as a, as a restoration contractor. Uh, I built a little software widget for them to um, help manage the estimating and scheduling of crews stuff like that. Then um, I simultaneously started a law firm focusing on construction law and kind of insurance claims that were happening with Katrina, which this all like mashing together started helping me see this um, payment problem in construction and um, particularly around a lot of the paperwork and lien rights and stuff like that, that was really saddling a, a lot of the activity that I was seeing come across my, my desk. And that all kind of led into um, into level set. Awesome. Well, the definition of founder market fit, to say the least, and and we're going to get into all of this broader discussion and outlook of uh, the state of construction tech in the built world and some of your lessons learned along the way of building level set. But first, I want to kick things off here more about your transition from operating the company to now what's a really impressive roster advising and investing in other startups and. As mentioned earlier, after selling Level Set and spending time working on innovation inside Procore, you really ramped up that activity of Ising and angel vesting in, in several companies building in this broader built world ecosystem, including us now sharing a board with our guys at Procore. Excuse sure. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could have just taken lots of well-earned time off, right? So first is what's the motivation to transition and dive headfirst into helping other startups in this sector? And given now you've seen both sides of the table per se, how does that now shape how your outlook on what value you want to bring advising and investing in these other companies? Um, yeah, so, you know, this is a, the, the first question about why 
um, my wife asked me that all the time. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> what, what are you doing? I was um, busy. I, I ran and after dinner the other night, I ran to my computer to do some work in my office. And my wife was like, don't you, aren't you unemployed? Um, and I don't know. I got in, I got, I came, I came into helping companies and working on a few things myself very quickly. Um, and you know, in, in reflecting on it, I don't know if an alternative even crossed my mind. Um, it just doesn't, it, it's, it doesn't feel like I even made the choice to do it. It's kind of like it happened. I was reading, um, this, the, uh, right when I left Procore, um, or simultaneous right around that time, um, Paul McCartney released this book with all his lyrics and he has something in there about breaking up with the Beatles. And he was like, am I, and he asked himself, am I going to stop now and look to do something else? And then he's like, well, no, uh, I, you know, I, I'm a musician, so I guess I'm being music. And so I think that's really, that might be why I kind of found myself back here. Um, just so quickly working on kind of similar things. And it, it boils down to there's a there's kind of an instinct or 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 a um, or a calling around this. And there's so many interesting things, so many interesting entrepreneurs that are doing some cool stuff that it, it, I, I, I'm just compelled to I'm compelled to work with some of them. Well, it's great to have. We need more founders like you piling back into the ecosystem after, you know, figuring out some lessons learned along the way. So having now seen that side of operating and investing, what what are some of those lessons learned and how you're trying to drive value with all these engagements? Yeah, it's interesting um, when you're in the thick of it, <laughs> you're, you have all kinds of things going on in your mind about, and you're just so consumed with your own um, work and your own growth. And that once, I mean, it feels like immediately I get these cliches about how it's the team and um, that, that like an investor thinks about, hey, it, it, this boils down to the team. I have such a new appreciation for that. It, it, being on the other side of the table, you see that like it's it's so it's so determinative of what happens with companies of this size um, with what the who that founding team is and who those founders are and there's this great that i i the ceos cultures companies they come they, they, everyone i stick my hand in i'm like oh that's interesting they have some advantages they have some skills or talents that that maybe i didn't have um they're all different but and they're all like little organisms and what i think there's this, this Leo Tol Tolstoy quote about, as you probably heard, all happy families are alike, but each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way, right? And what I think from the other side of the table, what I'm noticing is like cultures and founders and companies, they can all be unique, but they really all have these, they all need the fundamentals of life. They, they're just, they need the water, they need the oxygen, they need the food, the, the, all the happy families are alike. And, and so it, it really is interesting that when you're on the board or when you're an investor, you can only do so much. It really boils down to those teams and those people and how much they see, how much they grasp the potential of their business and how they can kind of articulate it and rally all the stakeholders towards it. Um, 
And so I, I see that as being like a, cre- a clear delineator of what makes companies get to a lot of success and what doesn't. And I think that's some, that's some place where I kind of been poking around and helping people with that. Um, and find that I have the ability to have kind of a, a special relationship with a founder or CEO that is hard for them to have with a, with a standard investor or board member from an investment group. Um, because there's a little, you know, there's there's a little bit of, um, camaraderie with with one another yeah absolutely i I agree 100 percent with both of those um especially the investor versus operator dynamic um it's it's just it's there's a nuance there and and certainly appreciate you know it is always about the team one of the things that i think i've seen you bring to light and maybe if you if you kind of go into a little bit of detail for us you've you've really helped out a number of companies and scott i think you're calling it the art of setting a company's vision. And so while they each may be their different versions of a family per se, to use your term, tell us a little bit more about how you go about, you know, that, that ideation and that influencing process on the company's vision with these founders you're supporting, if you would. Sure. So when I think about, um, that word vision is such a, uh, such an abused term. And, 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 and when it comes down to it, uh, the a CEO or somebody who's leading a company, they need to they need to articulate this vision for the company in a way that kind of serves a bunch of masters. Um, and so I, I think about vision across a few different horizons, so to speak. Um, at, the, at, the, at the very front of the horizon, the very first horizon, the very front of the ship, like the company needs to know what makes its engine hum. And they have to, you have to manage the company to produce results. And this is a very like, this is a very, um, call it like the, the commander's intent or the hedgehog concept. What is the thing that you can articulate really clearly so that everybody can line behind it and, and hit the numbers and make this company get from point A to point B um, with its core economics? Um, it's surprising how many companies don't have that nailed down to where the the CEO, the board, and especially all the employees who have to deliver the goods, they don't they don't they don't have a, a super crisp understanding of what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hedgehog, they, Scott, you're you're referring to Jim Collins, good to great, like the hedgehog, yeah. just rinse and repeat methodology type of. Is that is that what we're referencing? That's right. That's right. Like yep. at, um, gotcha. at Southwest, Southwest Airlines has a famous one being called the low fare airline. Um, mm-hmm. You can put, they have all kinds of vision at Southwest, but it's super clear what the low fare, that the low fare airline is like the hedgehog concept for that company. Everybody in that company um, knows how to kind of execute towards that. So CEOs really need to have their hands around that, but then they have to kind of see um, further than just what makes all the economics in the short term of the company work. And so I see these other two horizons one being around um, the what's going to be making the business special or what's going to help that business compound. Um, and this is how it's going to kind of escape from its its linear growth into some kind of exponential growth. And um, a good example of that that I really love, I'm a super big fan of um, Rich Barton, who um, started Zillow and Glassdoor and Expedia. I mean, this guy's a, a rock star and he has this 
this power to the people mantra. And he built exponentially growing businesses by taking things that are kind of in these dark corners, like, like reviews about working for an employee or an employer or the property values, you know, the Zestimate and gives it life and puts power in the people's hands, um, which creates this exponential kind of like demand gen function for them. Um, so how do you, how does a, a, and those things are hard for people, for companies to invest in because they don't really, they don't really um, pay off right away. So it requires articulating that this is the thing, it's gonna pay off in the future and then rallying people to go work on that and invest in that while not keeping their eyes off of the ball of the here and now, the, the, low, fare, the, the low fare airline problem that they have. Mm -hmm. um, and then that brings you to the third horizon, which is what is, where's the ship actually going? Like once you have a compounding business and once you have a business that's starting to scale, why and where are you taking this and what is the point of view of this company um and so these three things are kind of these these three important pieces that that will help the stakeholders the, the employees the the investors the board it it helps the ceo keep on the straight and narrow it helps recruit it help i mean it it solves it it becomes kind of the beacon for everything but it's really complicated because you got to you got to make sure you're managing everybody in the short term everybody in the medium term and everybody in the super long term and getting those um those articulations right and making them make it in, in enabling the you got to be able to see it you got to be able to articulate it and then you got to get all the stakeholders to rally around it and it's a little bit of a juggling act but the really great companies they're able to get all three horizons to fly yeah, not a trivial task at all. And again, you're a really humble guy, but it's uh, it's great to have you on the side of ProKeep and then all the other startups you're helping because Vision and the team kind of go hand in hand. And I don't know when you're going to release the post you've been working on about the art of setting that company's vision, but as soon as you do, I'll, I'll link it in the notes. I think everyone would be excited to read it, Scott. So don't hold it back too far, okay? All right. All Let's right, well... Well, let me move us forward here and, and get us back to, I do want to discuss kind of the broader state of construction tech. And, and clearly a lot has changed since when you started Level Set in 2007 to now. And so one quantitative data point among others, uh, McKinsey's research from the spring outlined that an estimated 50 billion was invested in AEC tech defined as architecture, engineering, and construction between 2020 and 2022 alone, which is 85% higher than the previous three years. And during the same period, the number of deals in the industry increased 30% to about 1,230 deals. So, and then of course, more qualitatively, but probably much more importantly, what that has also matured is a deep bench of uh, experienced construction tech talent who are now building more and more startups in the sector. And you and I have riffed on where opportunities are now emerging and even where new categories are being formed. So my big build up there, it would love for you to share with the audience, you know, both your, your look back on the last decade's maturity curve in construction tech, and then maybe your look ahead where you think those new white spaces are headed. Yeah. And, you know, you shared that McKinsey article with me, Ty, and I really liked it. Um, and interestingly, it it gets into that article touches on some of the the thing about that second horizon that I was discussing of what makes mm -hmm. compounding. Um, how do you make a compounding go-to-market engine? Because the construction industry 
is super fragmented. I think they say it's a fragmented sector at its core. And it's a, it's, it's a tricky business to sell into. Um, well, I think we're going to get to that. Now, when I look back and look ahead and looking back, I've been working on it for 10 plus years. And I think that what's one thing that's definitely happened, which wasn't a given, by the way, we take it for granted now, but when we started level set vertical SAS was not a given, it was not, um, you had some, you had some, like, what was the name? There was that healthcare, the health tech company that emergence capital backed Viva or something like that uh, was one of the first. Something like that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, this was like a big deal Oh, that you could put money into vertical SaaS. So over the past decade, that's one of the things that emerged around con construction tech and property tech um, is that it just, that, that, that really has gotten some solid pillars underneath it um, and vertical SaaS in general. And so many different cool business models have emerged that, that have proved out that vertical SaaS is a, is a super valuable area, which gives, um, which is, I think, a part of the story of what got so much money into the construction vertical because the construction vertical is the biggest of all. Um, mm -hmm. Procore had to, it's a big part of that storyline too, right? Sure. With its right. exit. That's right. Um, the other thing that's happened within within construction in particular is we've seen some like little these little micro categories get carved out um and you probably you're in the space more you know it's the project management was a micro category that Procore really put its stake in the ground with pre-construction is um, something that building and connected put together a lot and now autodesk has a big um, pre-construction category space we were working mm -hmm. on the cash and payment category so that was kind of interesting looking back of how vertical SaaS got its legs and then construction tech has sort of had these um these mini pillars get set up and we're starting to see those kind of mature so where's that bring us right and what's looking ahead and i love i looked at the mckinsey article and i love this this description where it said that the the um, AEC tech and prop tech have evolved as separate ecosystems. Mm -hmm. I've never thought of it like that, uh, but I really enjoyed that distinction where the AEC tech has kind of focused on the design and the construction of the assets and prop tech has focused on finance and plan and operation maintenance, all this stuff. Um, and so I think looking ahead, one thing, I, I have two themes in mind. One theme is that I, I think that that combination, that convergence between AEC tech and prop tech as defined in that McKinsey article, I think we're gonna see a lot more of that. And um, I don't know what I would have called it before the McKinsey article. I probably would have called it like the end of project management as the ruler of all, mm -hmm. or the end of the general contractor runway. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of runway with GCs and with project management and this stuff, but um, there are lots of other stakeholders in construction besides GCs. They have very unique pain points, which are very different than managing the GCs problems. And there's a wide diversity in project and entity sizes and scopes. Um, I think the McKinsey article is saying that most, almost, almost every construction entity in the world has less than 10 employees. 
Um, so these, the mixture of personas and the mixture of like other types of thing out of the field and outside of project management, we had a rule to give you at, at, at level set. We had a rule called the hard hat rule. And what the hard hat rule was, was that we don't want to see a hard hat on any of our marketing materials. And we don't want to talk about people with hard hats in any of our content. And the reason was because all of our customers, all of our personas were people that were not your construction, not what you thought when you thought construction. These were people that most of our customers were women. They were behind, they were in, they were in offices. And, and so I think there's a whole lot of that in construction. And I think that if McKinsey describes it, they describe it as kind of like that kind of stuff is in what they would label prop tech. And I think that that and a construction administration and a whole mountain of stuff is out there that has not gotten as much investment and focus as the managing um, the actual construction job site. And I think that's going to be, um, I'm, I'm very interested to see where that goes and how, you know, what kind of emerges and who wins in that fight. Um, the second theme, I just kind of toss under one big umbrella called like frontier tech, robotics, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, all this frontier tech. And I, it's like at anyone's guess is how, where that goes in my, in my, like, I don't, I can't really see the future there. Um, there's some cool stuff and something's going to kind of pop out. Sure. And yeah. make a difference, but I can't figure it out. Yeah, well, we're we're right there with you, trying trying to find those uh, those white spaces because there is an application for the deep tech to uh, to make a big impact. And you know, maybe to your broader point, uh, maybe and rightfully so, using a construction term, the foundation is laid, um, and now there's just so many constituents. To your point, uh, you know, the distributors themselves, the suppliers, right? All of the you know yeah. billions of dollars of spend floating around, um, and the overlay of the different types of technology. So. I, I'm with you there. And and I also thought when I read that, as well as just multiple conversations from a decade ago, investing in this category to now, how powerful is that to just simply say, you know, and shout out to like Matt Gray and the Built Worlds crew. Back in the day, Built Worlds was just everything. Prop tech, GCs, you know, design the thing, hand the keys to JLL, CBRE, and it's just all one bucket. And it's become so opportunistic to find categories that are different in prop tech and then AEC, however you define all these buzzwords. I just think it's great for the maturity of the ecosystem. And and I, I did want to hit on the talent piece, Scott. Have you do you think you're seeing the right talent evolution that's needed to to build the ecosystem with all these opportunities that we're talking about? Um, yeah, I think so. I think that it's it's definitely you start, you know, it's, it's so cool. I'm starting to see like people from building connected people from playing grid people from, um, different, different startups that have been successful. Um, I've seen, see people from different outfits, like different construction outfits that are coming in the space. I think that it's got what it needs. Um, I think it's got what it needs and, and it's getting every, every, like every five years, it just makes the population, um, of talent grow. So For sure. it's yeah. a, it's a, it's, there's the, the thing that does get, does get kind of like cluttered in the space. And this was also in that McKinsey article, which was did a good job is I think they get a lot of like this, this space still gets a lot of people who are really deep 
in uh, they like they work at a general contractor firm or they work at an architecture firm, and they understand the problem, and so they go off and develop um, kind of a a very bespoke solution to that problem they see, and they think too much about the problem and less about the market. It, we still have a lot. I see a lot of that in the startups that 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 emerge that come out. Um, and I did like that distinction in the article between people who think about the product as a problem that a company has versus thinking about the broader market and customer problem. Um, and the article does a good job of kind of making that distinction. And I thought it was an important distinction because some of the talent that we do get in the construction tech space does a lot, does too often look like the, the, they have those glasses on a little too much. And the the space needs, and it has, has, has a, a growing number of people that are working on the broader customer and broader market problems. And um, I think that that is, that, that, that talent is just going to get thicker and thicker. And to a degree, it can't go too much faster. You can't throw a bunch of consumer tech people over there. It's not going to happen. It kind of has to build in at, at the pace that it's going. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, with folks like you diving back in to help build the ecosystem, I think Dustin Devin's now on round two, and then we got right. you know Tracy and and Ralph are building their next thing. So, I think we're only going to see more and more of it, which is exciting. Right. And not just not just those founders, like those are three founders. That's me, right, Dustin, Tracy. But the there's I I got some there's some other building connected people who are working on things. There's other playing group people who are working on things. Level set people are in a variety of places. I think that that is um there's a lot of there's a lot of dust out there um from a bunch of successful companies yeah such a great point right case in point bradford right your old cfo jumping over to help the pro keep guys all those lessons learned are are huge uh founder or or different roles to say the least so um well i'll keep pushing this more forward here and so we've got that macro outlook is a backdrop where the opportunity lies ahead clearly a lot of it Let's let's go a little bit more specific and drill down around what it takes to execute and build a go-to-market engine specifically in this category. You know, obviously there are a lot of facets to building a successful business, but in construction, to me, it, it is one of the more challenging markets to sell into. You got fragmented constituency of vendors all over the place. You got project sites that aren't the opposite of recurring revenue. You got a sea yeah. of point solutions at this point, causing all kinds of pilot fatigue out there. Etc. Unique factors specific to the construction market. Again, big opportunity, but you do have to your point. You can't just throw consumer people to figure it out. Um, so, could you share with our audience, you know, what you learned from your experience at Level Set as to what it takes to scale distribution specifically in this market that you think could help those out there accelerate and avoid some speed points, uh, speed bumps as they're as they start building now. Yeah, it, you, there's a there's a small picture view at this and a big picture view at this. Um, small picture. I, there are a lot of ways that people go to market, SDR, sales, referrals, integrations, channel partners, all this stuff. And you not, you know, we had all that at level set, but we didn't, this wasn't, this wasn't our go-to market strategy, right? These were just pieces of the go-to market. And there, and those things are also linear. It can be done. And there are companies that have become very big by just like being, um, that, that, that have just gone to market in that way. But it's really hard and you need a lot to go right. And the way I describe it is like if you go on fishing and you go and you throw a line in the water 
And you can, in your way to scale that is to just keep like adding the number of like fishing rods that you're going to have out in the water. That's a lot less effective than going fishing with a net. Hmm. And um, a compounding, you know, like just like when you, just like compounding interest, how can it be so that on October 1st, you know, October is coming up. On October 1st, I know that I'm going to have a certain amount of demand built in. I have pipeline built in that's going to show up on October 1st, and it's going to be more than what showed up on September 1st without lifting a finger. And um, those can be very powerful models. Uh, we had that with at Level Set. I, I, I tasted it, and I, I, every company that I consult with or talk to, I, I like look for it every, every time. I try to because I just know the power of it. Um, our version of it was we had we had content and we had, um, I call it like the king of the internet strategy. We were king of the internet around anything related to pay or cash and construction. And the other thing we had was like, we had our products starting to mint off demand and growth opportunities. This stuff, it takes a lot of investment. It's hard to invest in when it doesn't pay off right away, but like, how interest starts to compound, this this starts to compound. That's the small picture. The small picture being like, what is your compounding channel? And your what's going to be the magic bean, which is a word I think I used with you before. Yeah, you. If you didn't hit on magic bean, we were gonna we were gonna hit on it. But this is where you're talking about. You you can't really. It's hard to see the investment today, but the compounding effect down the road. To your point of the content strategy at level set was was awesome. Is it? That's the magic bean that we often reference. Yeah, that's right. It's it's you you planted something and then it just starts to um it get, it has a life of its own, and this makes the business really able to kind of um, take off. the 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 big picture version of this is you have and this is important in construction because, like you said, this pilot fatigue and there's so many different solutions and the fragmentation is so severe and and you gotta in this projects versus enterprise sales what what is the thing that you're going to if you're selling a point solution and you're selling it through a linear sales channel you're going to have it's going to be a knife fight this what is your what is the on the other hand what is the category that you're carving out what is the point of view that you have almost to where you're like you're you're you can you create a methodology of sorts around your whole business um i love like hubspot for example who just they 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 sort of just grabbed inbound marketing and they created a a, a cult out of it people you know what what can you what can you as a company believe in and then sort of get the category to trust you and um this is harder, easier said than done, but I think that while it's hard and while it's um, it takes a lot of time and a lot of investment, if companies are in the construction tech space are going to emerge and be the big winners, they are going to have a magic bean, and they're going to have a point of view that that rallies a um that rallies a tribe. That's what's gonna. That's what it's gonna look like at the when you when you fast forward and you go eight to ten years out and you look at the success. It's gonna look like that. Now, what's the exact way to get there? Is tough because if you don't get that magic bean, if you don't get that point of view that rallies a tribe, you're just gonna be left with like this extremely fragmented, complicated mess of a market. And there's not really uh, 
in my opinion, it's just so hard to like throw channel sales at them. Yeah. Well, to use a Covey phrase, right, to begin with the end of mind, you got to at least know what some of the steps you're going to take that journey toward the end are. And I, I think those are two uh, that I've seen be very valuable to start up. So um, maybe on the same vein of giving some advice back to this, the startup founders in the audience, uh, we always love to have a little section here, some words of wisdom, and you've already given them some, but maybe we'll curate it more to, to those that are either in the middle of a raise right now, or maybe are trying to approach you to be thoughtful about advising or, and however you think about it, maybe split, uh, one or two things, you know, keys to success as they enter that chat from your perspective and a major pitfall or challenge to just avoid from the head start. Yeah, I would say, look, here's here's three things. The first thing is, even though I just talked about thinking big and all these, uh, the, the first advice is think small, <laughs> uh, especially in the beginning. Ideas are so cheap. Investors pay attention to traction. And so what is like, what is the concrete, specific, tangible, simple thing that you can do that's going to be the basis of the hook of your business and get to counting that as quickly as possible? And the second thing, which is really connected to that, is don't spend too much money without traction. I've actually seen a surprising amount. Of, this was not my journey, but I've seen a surprising amount of companies spending a lot of money working on product launches that are way like that it, it, that that with with big intentions in mind, and it can work, but it's really tough. And you got to have a hook. You got to start making some traction, and that's going to happen kind of like in small land in the beginning. You want to get this momentum built up, right? Um, and the other piece of advice is to look for places to empower people. Like look for injustices, there's so many in construction and look to correct them. There's a lot of opportunity in it. You know, at Level Set, we our mission was to empower people to always get what they earn because we saw such a huge amount of injustice around um, the payment process. And so there's a ton of opportunity in those things and they feel really good. And, and you, it get, that gives you a lot of juice to be able to like withstand all the difficulties. So that would be kind of my words of wisdom there is look for some big, look for big impact that you wanna, that you wanna invest 10 years of your life into. Um, don't take a bunch of money and spend it on hypothetical stuff and get to work at finding traction as ASAP around some concrete, tangible hook that you're going to have to get your initial toehold in the market. It's great, great advice. And you kind of come full circle, right? I couldn't agree with you more. It starts with the team, but find a very specific wedge of value listening to the customers. It's going to take some time. But while you're doing that, it doesn't mean at the exclusion of setting the right vision and the, the three right. horizons you mentioned, Scott. So it's not a trivial task. Again, investors, we have the easy part in this job, to say the least. Uh, but from someone like you that's been in the trenches, um, great advice. I know our listeners are taking notes. So, Scott, maybe we'll wrap us up here, a little section, a little quick hitter Q&A. So if you're ready, we'll jump in. All right, let's do it. All right. What is the number one thing when you're looking at evaluating a founder in this ecosystem? Um, heart. And what I mean is kind of twofold. One is that they have a lot of passion in what they do. And so they have a heart, they have a their heart is really beating for what they're looking to do. Um, but also they have a lot of empathy. Absolutely. One resource could be book, podcast, blog, whatever you'd recommend the audience to follow in the ecosystem. There's too many. Um, and this is not about the ecosystem. I, I maybe misread that. I'm just thinking in general. In general, it's fine too. 
Yeah. There's a book that I've used as kind of a Bible. I had a, a guy, the, the, the writer of it was an advisor, an investor in Level Set for years. His name is Chip Heath and a mentor of mine. And he um, wrote a book called Made to Stick, among others. And um, it's just about messaging and how you get ideas to stick. And it's just in anything that you do, especially if you're a, a founder or if you're an investor, anything you do, getting your ideas to stick is like top of the order, top of the batting order for what you need to, what you need to do, um, what you, or what you need to accomplish. And I think that such a, has such a great framework that I continuously go back to. Right on. Well, who's a, who's a person that should be on the podcast to help us keep wagging the, the flag for this sector? This is hard. Um, I, I thought about some founders cause I'm a founder. So, I mean, that's, that's where I would go. I would go like, I don't know if you had Dustin on from, um, building connected before, um, that's like an exited founder, but there's some great founders in the space right now in the mix of things. And they would have a good perspective, Jack at ProKeep, um, and some of my other, um, some of my other people like Dustin Marks from, from Stellar or Niasha Gusta at Billy. These are some, there's some, some sharp founders who would have, um, who are in the trenches and working on some interesting problems. So I would, I would, I would give them the nod. Absolutely. The ones out there building as we speak for sure. And then finally, uh, best way for folks to try to reach out to you after the show is they, uh, is they want to follow up. Yeah, I think the best, the best way is just LinkedIn. It's an easy, an easy way to find me, an easy way to um, get in touch with me. Awesome. Well, we've had, uh, and you have been at the forefront over the last decade plus of helping build up this broader built world ecosystem. And uh, again, the foundation is just getting laid, in my opinion. We got a lot of opportunity ahead. So, Scott, thanks for coming on and sharing some lessons learned. My pleasure. Thanks, Ty. It was great having being on it.